We continue our series in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, and we'll begin reading at verse 12. It sets the context for the um, verses 22 to 25 today as well. Colossians chapter 3, and today we're going to focus on um, the Lordship of Christ, or Christ being Lord in the workplace. And that follows on the heels of marriage, the husband-wife relationship, children obeying their parents, so marriage in the family. So that's the focus today is verses 22 up to 4, verse 1, Colossians chapter 3. You'll notice that in our Bibles it has a word in 22, servants. Another word that's in other translations is slaves. Because the workers in those days, the employees, you could say, they, subject, they were subject to sometimes harsh conditions. So it can be translated as servants or slaves in that context. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you also were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And then 22 through 4, verse 1 is our focus today. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. That's our focus. 4 verse 22. Sorry, 3 verse 22 to 4 verse 1. And really, this is meant to be an encouragement to believers in the workplace. Though there may be few, or it seems to be more of the unbelievers than the believers, uh, believers are called to set the pace, to set the culture, and to, to work in a way that um, is, pleases Christ because he's the Lord over the workplace. But you know, as you read this, maybe one of the first thoughts that comes to your mind is, yeah, but slavery is not an institution that Christians can support. And that's true. We may never support 
the institution of slavery. So then, how come Paul doesn't speak against it? Right? He literally, in some translations, has slaves obey. How can Paul just sort of dismiss that point and just talk about slaves obeying? Why is that? Why doesn't Paul encourage the fellowship of believers in Colossae to come up with a plan? Let's plan a protest. You know, because we're here for Christ and we're going to plan some sort of social reform. We're going to prevent, plan some sort of people's revolt against the masters and their unkindness toward us. Why not encourage that sort of thing, a revolt, a people's revolt, to bring about change in the workplace? Why? Why not? Because change comes from within. We don't use the weapons of, of the world. We don't use the schemes of the world, right? That's fleshly. It may have power to some extent, but it does not have the power that the gospel has. And that's why Paul here applies the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in work situations, because the gospel transforms relationships also not in only in the family but also in the workplace right um, it begins with you and me in the workplace it begins with believers we're called to set the pace we're called to set the culture a culture that shows that Christ is Lord of the workplace he's ultimate Lord not the boss not the workers but Christ and how do, how, do, how do we do that? That's really the question here. And just to give you a little bit of context here, because when you, maybe, maybe we haven't touched on that before, but the church in Colossa, where do they meet? They worshiped in the home of Philemon. He was a master, a wealthy master. He was a boss. And he had many slaves under him, many servants under him. Okay, we read about that in Philemon 2. Right? He was, it was in their house that the church in Colossae was meeting. And then it talks about one of his slaves. And one of his slaves was Onesimus. And Onesimus is also mentioned in Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. Onesimus was a runaway slave. He had run away from Philemon. And he actually stole some money. He thought, well, Philemon is rich anyway. What's he going to miss? If I just pocket a little money put it in my pocket, and run away. Well, it just so happens, as he ran away, God in his providence had Onesimus meet the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul confronted him with the gospel. What Onesimus had done was wrong. But at the same time, Paul, in bringing the gospel, Onesimus brought him, or you could say, won him over to Christ. And and now you have Philemon, the, uh, a member of the church in Colossae, a master, but you also have Onesimus becoming a member in the church of Colossae. So we read in verse 9, Paul refers to him, to Onesimus, as a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Paul had now persuaded Philemon to take back his slave, Onesimus, and he did. And you see, it's in the strength of the gospel that Philemon receives him, not first of all as a worker, but as a brother in the Lord. 
The gospel transforms relationships in the workplace. No, Paul does not recommend that slaves revolt against the masters. Protests do very little, really. In a democracy, maybe you get a mob of people, but change from the outside doesn't necessarily, it doesn't bring change to the heart. It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why Apostle Paul, he just leaves the relationships as they are. He talks, he addresses slaves, and he addresses masters. The slave remains a slave, and the master remains his boss. But in it all, Paul endeavors, he's, he's bringing the gospel, because he knows it's only the gospel that can bring the change in the workplace from within, when hearts are changed. Then you see a transformation in the workplace. That's where Paul is going. Paul's not endorsing slavery at all. But he said, this is the way you accomplish your goal, is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what really comes out very clear is, who's Lord of the workplace? The boss? Christ. Jesus is the Lord of the workplace. You see it several times in this passage, Christ Lord. Christ the Lord, or Christ Lord. Right? He's the Lord of the workplace. And therefore, he has a word, just as he had a word to husbands and to wives and to children and to fathers. He also has a word to employees. Today, we use the word employees. Back then, it was slaves. And also has a word to masters, to employers. See, in that time when Paul was addressing the Colossians, it was not a Christian society. Okay, it was not a Christian society. The Roman world back then was full of slaves. Slavery was huge. Apparently about a third of the Roman population, one third, so 30%, 35% were slaves. So it gives you kind of an idea, the kind of institution, the huge institution of slavery was back then. The situation in the workplace was really, in many ways, far worse than then in our day, the slave did not have rights. Then the law gave him no protection and kindness to the slaves was really very, very rare. And yet Paul speaks in this way. You see, most believers in the Colossian church, you think most of them were masters? No, most of them were Servants or slaves or workers working for their bosses. And that's why I think Paul has four verses, you know, of instruction to the, to the workers and only one verse to the masters because the congregation was largely composed of people who were working for their bosses, not always kind either. Okay? So how are Christian slaves to serve? Paul begins with a very strong appeal here. He says, obey what? Obey. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. This is the way of the gospel for the church and the world. Obey your masters. Obey in all things. Okay? Masters according to the flesh means um, earthly masters, right? They're your human bosses. 
even then, when things are not pleasant in the workplace, when things are not agreeable to you, obey, says Paul. Obey. Unless, of course, your boss requires you to disobey God, then who should we obey? God, because you serve Christ first. He's the Lord in the workplace. It's amazing. You think of something very simple, although it's very something very difficult to obey. The Lord's Day laws. Right? Saying to your boss, I'm a Christian. I don't work Sundays. The Lord commands me not to. And many times the boss may honor that. Sometimes they don't. But sometimes there's a cost, right? Because you're, at the same time, the boss recognizes, oh, he takes his faith seriously. But most of all, we do it because God says, right? It's a day of rest, not a day to work. The other the six days are for that. Um, we may suffer at times because we put Jesus first. He's the Lord of the workplace. You see, the command to obey your employers falls on the heel. Again, in verses 12 through 17, whose clothes do we wear now? The clothes of Christ. We're called to put off the old clothes. We're called to put to death the old sins, the old self and its practices, and to put on Christ to be renewed in the image of Christ. The clothes that he has given you. I love what Titus 2, if you look at Titus 2, 9 and 10, there too, the Apostle Paul addresses Titus. And he says, exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters. And he says four things. To be well-pleasing to them in all things. Not answering back. Not pilfering. Pilfering means not taking. Not taking things from the workplace and putting it in your pocket and say, well, he's got lots of money anyway. And showing all good fidelity. In other words, being faithful, working as the Lord would want you to work. And what's the purpose? That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. That they may beautify it, right? Beautify the doctrine of God by the way they work. Okay, Christians are to show the beauty of their faith in Christ by how they work. You know... That's a big calling. It's so easy to get caught in the trap of the way the world works. To think as they think, to have the attitudes they have in the workplace. Christ says, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're different. I put new clothes on you, you put them on, and you set the pace for the world how they ought to work in the workplace. You set the pace. You set the culture. Don't let the culture dictate to you how to respond. When the other workers complain, Oh, I'm going to complain with them. No, no, no. Christ is the Lord. And you set the pace and you be an example for them. How does this show? This new obedience in Christ? Verse 22 says, Not with eye service as men pleasers. You know what eye service means? <laughs> when your boss comes around, right away say, Oh, I better get to work. Because you want to look good in front of your boss. And so you work for a little while and you work. You pretend you work really hard because your boss sees you. You know what kind of slavery that is? A slavery. It's called eye slavery. 
You're a slave to your boss through your eyes. In other words, you're only thinking about pleasing him when he sees you, right? But really, when it comes down to it, your attitude, or you see the attitude in the workplace, the least amount of work possible and the most amount of pay. And really, when you think about it, it's just simply, it's a very self-centered approach. It's just all about me, about my own profits, and so on. That's what Paul is dealing with in the workers, among the workers in that day, but also in our day. In Paul's day, also in our day, there are those who had no problem slacking off. Don't let the world set that culture for you. No slacking off in the workplace. No stealing, no complaining, no being late for work, right? No sloppiness, no watching the clock and getting out a minute before five. Hey, how about five after five cleaning some things up, right? Going the extra mile, Christ would say. In some workplaces, you know this, this sloppy or this sinful work ethic is so ingrained that it's assumed that Christians should do the same thing. No, 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 no. We're the trendsetters. Christ says, you're the trendsetters. You, uh, the light conquers the darkness. You be the light in the workplace. How do we do that? Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. See how the gospel changes the heart? In sincerity of heart, fearing God. That is from a genuine heart, from free from all kinds of pretense. Because after all, you are serving Christ who freed you from slavery. That's whom you serve. You know what? I think for parent, I think uh, for parents for, with children, it's so important that we cultivate in our children a Christ-like work ethic. Cultivate a right attitude about work. Put your children to work. It's okay. Clean the floors. Do the dishes. It's perfectly okay. Because you know what? By doing that, you're training them to be the or a Christian worker in the workplace. Right? It's need to be cultivated from age one on. Right? Age three on. It's, uh, we're the trendsetters. We're the culture shapers. Where to go in the name of Christ. Yeah, so important. You know, Paul continues in verse 23. He really wants to emphasize it. He says, obey. And he says, and do it with all your heart. See verse 23? That's the second command there. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. You're doing it for the Lord. Right? We're not just doing it for our parents or for the boss. We're doing it for the Lord. Literally, it means put your soul, put your whole soul into your work. It's a part of image bearing, isn't it? Work is a part of image bearing. When you think about it, when God gave work, he didn't give work after we sinned. Right? Sometimes people think that sin is a re- sorry, work is a result of sin. But is work as a result of sin? No. God gave work in the garden as a good thing. Remember his call to Adam? 
subdue the earth, have dominion over it. He gives the task to Adam to tend the garden. Work is a part of building God's kingdom. It's not our kingdom, but work is a part of building God's kingdom. But because of sin, work has become a really bad word, isn't it, in our world? A drudgery. Uh, I have to work in order to pay my bills. It's a means to an end. It's a job, by the way. You know what job means? J-O-B. Jam on bread. I, I work just to eat. There's no further purpose in work. It pays the bills. Does nothing more. It's kind of like a self-imposed slavery, that kind of thinking, right? That's the worst part of it. But in Christ, your work is not a job. Just not, it's not just a job. But in Christ, your work, whether it's mom at home or whether it's in the workplace, your work is a calling. Calling. What do I mean by calling? A calling means God says, I call you to do this in the work that you've given me, in the work that uh, he has given you, so that you may serve him in his big kingdom. As a Christian worker, you serve both God and neighbor, offering the labor of your hands as a daily sacrifice. As a priest, you're a priest. Remember we talk about prophets, priests, and kings? As a worker, you're a priest offering your service to the Lord. I like what Martin Luther says. It's very right on. He says, the wife who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God, just as much as the pastor who writes a sermon. Not because she might be singing a Christian hymn while she's sweeping the floors, but because God loves clean floors. That's just beautiful. God loves clean floors. Okay, the other one, another example, the Christian shoemaker, I guess in those days, there were just a lot of people who just made shoes in their own in their own homes. But the Christian shoemaker does this Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes. Okay, these are Christian shoes. No, no, no. That's not what he's talking about. But making good shoes because God is interested in good shoes, good quality shoes. You see, God says, I saved you, I redeemed you with the best that I have, with everything that I have. I want the, I want the best from you. In all your work, as, as, as students in school, as workers in the home, as workers in the workplace, he says, I want you to offer my best because I am worthy of it. Isn't the Lord worthy? But you know what? Having said all this, there's no doubt that work is not easy either, is it? It comes with lots of struggles, lots of hardships, lots of frustrations, and it's easy to uh, succumb to those frustrations, to complain. Um, and then you add to that Christians working alongside unbelievers in the workplace, or maybe unbelieving masters, unbelieving bosses. But never underestimate that Christ is the Lord of the workplace. Through you, he intends to set the the culture, the true culture, what true humanity is, what the light is, 
Um, through you, the world meets the church. Through you, the world meets the Christ. That's evangelism right there. You don't even have to necessarily, necessarily be speaking about Jesus on the job all the time. It shows in your workmanship. It shows in the attitude. It's just part and parcel of belonging to Christ. And you can imagine the bosses in Paul's day, as Christianity began to grow, and as it affected the workplace, the bosses might start thinking, wow, if the Christian faith does this for slaves, it must be something wonderful. There's a certain attraction. I mean, think about it today, too. Why is it that there's certain companies that say, I want Christians to work for us? Because there's a certain dependability, honesty, in contrast to many employees who don't keep their word, who cheat, who lie, who are dishonest. See, the gospel changes lives from within. Christ uses you in the workplace. In Christ, we can obey. In Christ, we have, can have the right attitude to obey. Whatever you do it, Paul says, do it heartily. Put your soul into it. Something we can pray for, something we struggle with, no doubt. But the Lord is worthy. Why do it heartily? The incentive comes in verses 24, 25. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Why? Because in this world... Unbelievers only see the here and now. They live in a very tiny world. They only see the world as what they can get out of it monetarily, material gain, and then it ends. It reminds me of a little meme that I saw. There's a man running, and all these dollars are flying in the air, and he's trying to catch them. Next line. He's still running. He's older. He's still running, running after all those dollars. And the third line. The end. Dead. It's such a sorry picture of what the workplace is like when, you add, when that's all you have. But Christ says, but in me, you have such a big world. The world is open to you. You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. You'll receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. You serve under his eye. Your reward is an inheritance. The scripture says that inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And so is that. What's an inheritance? It's not something that we earn. Right? Sometimes bosses will give little gifts or big gifts. They say, well, you know, you deserve it. But in Christ, it's not that we deserve it, but we receive it as a gift. And it's given to us. It's ours. And it's ours by the death of the testator. And who's the testator? Christ himself. He says, I bought this for you. It's yours. Work with that in mind. Keep that before you. The inheritance, which is eternal life. You know, to serve Christ in the workplace, that's freedom. To be not in the chains of sinful desires, but to be free from them. Paul encourages the believers in Colossae with the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, 1 verse 6. Also in Colossians 1.12, he has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. 
Yes, you do gain something by wrongdoing. Maybe you gain some extra money or some extra possessions, but you gain something else too. Ultimately, death and punishment. That's what Paul says in verse 25. But he who does wrong, right, who lives that lifestyle of doing wrong, not submitting to Christ in faith, will be repaid for the wrong which he has done, and there's no partiality. Repaid by whom? By Christ. Remember, Christ is Lord over believers and unbelievers. He's the supreme master, and that applies to both master and slave, employer and employee. God shows, God does not favor one over the other. A world might do that, but God does not favor one over the other. With God, there is no partiality. See, in Christ, you know, Onesimus knew wrongdoing could be forgiven. Onesimus repented. He believed in Christ. He was won over to Christ. And Paul dealt kindly with him. Paul did not approve of his wrongdoing. And he said, well, everybody else does it. No. Paul said to Onesimus, you must change. And he did. And Onesimus enjoyed a brotherly relationship with his master, even though he worked for him. Christ is the Lord of the workplace. And when we serve him in new obedience, that's freedom. When you, see that, when you observe the workplace today, there's so much slavery because we're slaves to our own, our own desires in the workplace. But Christ frees us from that because we have a new desire, a new aim, and that's Christ who can use our work to build his kingdom in ways that we can never see or know or even imagine. And finally, a brief word to employees, masters. There's a few. There were a few in the church back then, as there are in churches today. Your master, your boss, must also answer the Lord for how he works. Even those who don't confess Jesus, who don't believe in him, must answer to Christ because Christ is Lord. And so the Apostle Paul here addresses employees like Onesimus, but also Christian masters like Philemon. First of all, two things here. Bosses are under new management. Christian bosses, that is. Wonderful to aim for a Christian boss because that really sets leadership in the Christian workplace. But they're under new management. And the Paul, the words of Paul here in 4, four verse 1 is, Masters, give your servants what is just and fair. That's a command there. Give your servants what is just and fair and fair. You know, sometimes companies will uh, at times advertise with big, bold letters, under new management, <laughs> right? That means a new look, a new way, and new people. But here the Apostle Paul is talking about masters who are no longer serving sin and Satan, but who are now serving the Christ under new management. They are serving a greater Lord, the Lord over all. And that's what we see in the second place, serving a new master. Notice what Paul says in 4 verse 1, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. As Christians, they must not do as they please. They must not take advantage of their workers. 
It's easy for them to be self-serving and greedy, just like their employees. Greed afflicts all, not just employees, but also employers. And because they have the power, they can easily use their power in a very unfair and unjust way. Putting on new clothes, the new clothes of Christ, comes in the form of following that command. Give your servants, right? Give your servants what is just and fair. You know, injustice and unfairness are also the wrongs for which the wrongdoer will be repaid for by the Lord. And yet your master, right? Your master is right to expect from workers honesty and diligence because the Lord does. To do it heartily. This brings me to the topic of strikes, labor strikes. So common in our world today. In a perfect world, of course, we know there's no room for labor strikes. Strikes occur because of sin in the worker, but also in the employer. Um, strikes are usually very self-centered, and rarely is there a justification for labor strikes. Rarely. With the worker, it is often due to the wickedness of his own selfishness and greed. They want more pay, less work, guaranteed income, security, and all these other demands. And with the employer, a strike might happen because he selfishly strives for a bigger company and personal profits. But you think about it, in both cases, both are slaves. Slaves to sin to greed. The way to end strikes and hostile relationships in the labor in the workplace is how is the gospel. It's the only way from within, from within the heart. Dying with Christ, having risen with him, that transforms relationships also in the workplace. Wow, you have an important mission in the world as Christians in the workplace to set the pace. You see, God's love in Christ comes from both sides. That's the only solution. The love of God, what's it do? It melts the cruelty of masters into kindness. And it changes slaves into willing servants. The change always comes from within, from the gospel, not from without. Those are the schemes of the flesh it never, never, ever changes the heart. It sometimes makes the heart harder. It makes the heart more angrier. But this is Christ's way. This is the way of the gospel. The employee dies to laziness and to dishonesty. The employer dies to unfairness and injustice. And we do this where? In the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who being God, what did he do? He relinquished his glorious state from all eternity, his status, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant. Right? By taking upon himself the form of a servant, he gave himself in perfect obedience. Perfect obedience to the Father became obedient even unto death. 
And it's in that he suffered the greatest injustice that could ever been affected on him, Christ himself. So for what purpose? That we may be set free, free to serve him in his kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. And that's in the workplace. Whether that workplace is a home, the workplace doesn't necessarily mean you're being paid for it, <laughs> but in the home, in the workplace, wherever it may be, we're there for Christ. That's where true freedom is found. To God be the glory forever. Amen.